Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. The rumors are true. It is summer 2021. And when you uh, when you think of summer, you know, in, here in the U.S., uh, there are certain things that come to mind. One of those things is the traditional image of the enterprising kid opening the lemonade stand. Hi, I'm Ben. That's our super producer, Max Williams. And hey, hey, I, I got to ask you, Noel, did you ever have a lemonade stand? No, I didn't. But I mean, you know, I think the classic image that pops into one's head, it, it has to be made of very hastily assembled planks, you know, that are like mm. nailed together very precariously and that could collapse at any moment. Of course, that certainly isn't the uh, modern lemonade stand. It's probably more of like a card table situation, perhaps uh, like a piece of paper taped to the front that says lemonade. You know, what's the inflation rate on lemonade? What, what does a glass of lemonade go for in modern times? Dollar? Two dollars? Uh, uh, you know, it's interesting you ask because I, I think for, I, I'm sure the price has changed when kids are doing it over time. But I also imagine you can make quite a hefty profit from lemonade because the recipe is simple. It's lemons, water, and then sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel like uh, people need a little more these days. You got your basil lemonades. You got your raspberry lemonades, you know, blueberry lemonade. I, I feel like kids these days got to take it a step further. Have you ever had basil lemonade, by the way? It's, it's I, a weird yeah. one, but I dig it. I've made basil lemonade. Uh, it, I went through a heavy lemonade phase a few years ago that lasted for about a year. And that's where I learned from an old dear friend, the secret of using agave nectar mm -hmm, in place time. of sugar. It's super, Agreed. super, super smooth. Um, I myself had, when I was a kid, I did make a lemonade stand, but I had all kinds of, had all kinds of hustles. And most of the, <laughs> most of the people in my neighborhood who were 
who were buying our lemonade, what because it was a group effort. Uh, most of those folks were like the folks who frequent lemonade stands. Uh, whenever they see them, they just wanted to reward some kids for being go-getters. You know what I mean? So if I'm honest with you, I feel like a lot of people bought our lemonade and maybe didn't drink it. Our prices were competitive too, I'll admit. Oh, that's, I appreciate that. And that's the thing that you're right, Ben, about the uh, idea of uh, the classic American lemonade stand. It almost represents uh, the entrepreneurial spirit of this country, you know, and it honestly has its roots in that. Uh, and especially, specifically, one of the most famous young enterprising lemonade uh, lads uh, was uh, a young immigrant. Uh, and we will get to that in due time. But first of all, I want to ask Ben, do you know what a citron is? I only just recently kind of put together the image of what this fruit is and the name. Yeah, it's it can be confusing because a citron is a kind of tree that bears fruit that look they look a lot like lemons, mm-hmm. but they have some they have some uh, important differences. The two biggest differences are, uh, if I recall correctly, that. The citron is more fragrant and it's a little bit less acidic, I want to say. Is that correct? I think that's right. Um, It's definitely a burlier looking fruit, too. It's got all these kind of wrinkles and ripples on the skin. And the rind is a lot thicker and more hearty, let us say. But it is kind of the OG citrus fruit. And it's something that you would even see in like ancient Roman murals, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and easy to confuse for lemons because lemons probably originated in India or China or somewhere in that neck of the global woods, as you'd say, Ben. Um, But, you know, we do see images of of lemons or lemon-like citrus fruits in some of these Roman murals as well. And it's an interesting thing because the lemon on its own it's 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 kind of like what do you do with it? It's so sour. It's I know some people enjoy probably sucking on a lemon, as Tom York would say. But in general, they work best when you pair them with other things, whether sure. it be uh, a cocktail or using it to kind of like um, add a little acidity to a dish, or adding a heck of a lot of sugar and making what has become known as lemonade. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's actually it's an ancient practice. Uh, we know relatively little about the origin other than things we can piece together, like the fact that the earliest proven human cultivation of the lemon tree was probably in medieval Arabia. So that's where if we were saying lemonade, like actual lemonade instead of, you know, citronade or whatever, that's where this occurred. And, you know, I I was searching for the phrase for this, Noel. It's Norman Rockwell-esque here in the U.S., the idea of the lemonade stand. I I also want to give a shout out to uh, some of the sources we're going to be using today and a very special shout out to our two-part series on pink lemonade. Uh, All I can remember is the second one, The Rise of the Clown Pants. Oh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Check that out. Please do check it out. But just that's going to something along the lines of that story is going to come around in today's story as well. Yep. And uh, we're doing this with the help of HistoryExtra.com. We've got some great mental floss articles as well. One of these that stood out especially was uh, Greg Jenner's Who Invented Lemonade. So uh, we're going to be pulling from these and and a few other fantastic sources. Uh, We may even run into a couple of uh, recipes 
for Lemonade. No promises. Yeah. We'll see where the day takes us. Oh, and in a stunning um, sort of uh, full circle type situation, I think we've got a couple of How Stuff Works articles on here as well. We do. From the, uh, from the good old days. And one of my favorites, too, is the battle against Lemonade Stand Crackdowns. Three arrests on Lemonade Freedom Day by Alexander Abad Santos from The Atlantic. Uh, we'll just tease it with that title and then we'll, we'll get to it in due time. But you're right, mm-hmm. Ben. I mean, the, the practice of making a sweetened citrus-based drink goes back to, I believe, ancient Egypt during the Crusades. At the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not earlier. Know, right. We know that's when um, a lot of Europeans may have encountered this. And, you know, People were trying to figure out what goes well with lemon for a long time. They had a couple things that we may look back on as missteps. Perhaps one of the best is, uh, as Jenner mentions, in Tudor, England, when lemon juice was used for a drink that we wouldn't recognize as lemonade today. It was called Water Imperial. It was Mm. a cordial and, uh, you know, so it's, as you can tell, it's got lemon juice, it's got water, it's also got cream of tartar, and people drank this Ugh. because they felt it had a curative effect. What is cream of tartar supposed to do? I've seen that in the spice rack section uh, or of the grocery store, but I've never quite fully understood what you're supposed to use it for. Uh, it is usually, the main use I know for it today is to stabilize whipped egg whites mm. and then it can also stop sugar from crystallizing but stiff cri- peaks stiff peaks mm-hmm. so like uh the it's one of those things honestly you know i cook a lot we both cook pretty frequently cream of tartar is one of those things that i've just had and maybe used once a year or something i'm mm. never I'm I'm never having a oh no we've got to get to the store before it closes I'm almost totally. out of cream of tartar moments nothing to do with tartar sauce I imagine completely separate things or or no I uh, funny enough separate things tartar sauce doesn't have any cream of tartar mm-hmm. instead tartar sauce is named after the tartar family uh, and it's, it's basically it's, ginned up mayonnaise it's just mayonnaise with like pickle chunks in it like mayonnaise and relish mixed together is essentially what tartar mm-hmm. sauce is and I like it I don't really like those things separately but I do like a good McDonald's fish fillet sandwich excuse me fillet o fish sandwich every now and again <laughs> so so yeah so uh Everybody has their own taste, and some people were with uh, some people were honestly digging water imperials. But along the way, by the mid 1600s, various people in London and elsewhere had started using sweet lemon juice mixed with honey and water Mm. as a beverage. And they, but they didn't necessarily make it on their home soil, they imported it from France. And by, you know, 1600s France, there was this huge, um, I guess we would call them pop-up stores, roaming lemonaders. Right. Or lemonadios. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Uh, I wish Casey Pegram was here to help us out with that. But yeah, lemonaders would probably be the Americanized pronunciation and lemonadios because it's spelled L-I-M-O-N-A-D-I-E-R-S. Sounds like a little more of the, the francophone pronunciation. There's a really great Mental Floss article called The Surprisingly Disgusting History of Lemonade Stands, uh, which is a a good tease. And if you've heard the Pink Lemonade episode, I think you know what we're inching towards. But you're 
right. It was uh, it was even taken a step further, right? Because, I mean, France is where the whole cabaret scene kind of really started to take off. And, you know, the, the Moulin Rouge and all of that stuff with burlesque dancers and just all of this kind of showmanship. And you would see boozy versions of these sold in some of these uh, these cabaret theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A light, refreshing drink that also gives you a light, arguably refreshing buzz. And uh, this, they did sell more than just just this like predecessor of Mike's Hard Lemonade, but they got known for this uh, because it was a popular like novelty drink, and it became it became so popular that eventually everybody who sold it was able to get together and start a union called the the name would translate to. The Company of Lemonadiers, mm-hmm. uh, and this is coming from Carrie Tatro in our own House of Works article, Fascinating History of Lemonade. Yeah, and, and there's another mention in that article about, I believe, something we've also done an episode on, how it might have been part of a list, I can't remember, um, but a list episode, but uh, it was the idea that uh, Parisians, at least they believed, helped fend off the plague because of all of the lemons that they were consuming uh, in in this lemonade. Because it was like a dose of vitamin C that supposedly gave you a a immuno-boost kind of, you know, which is still definitely a thing that we know vitamin C to do. It turns out that it was more the fact that lemon peels have a substance in it that can kill uh, flea larvae. And also adult fleas. So the more lemonade people drank, the more of these discarded lemon peels were around, the more the rats ate the lemon peels, and they ingested this chemical called limonene uh, that killed the fleas and their eggs. So it wasn't that it was giving them some kind of magical immuno boost, even though it does a little bit, certainly not enough to fend off the bubonic plague. It was more that it was killing the source of the plague, which was those uh, those fleas. Yeah, and it's interesting because... The idea of citrus fruit as curative, in any case, uh, it's it's a long-held belief in this part of the world, even though it wasn't until, what, about 1753 or so when James Lind from the Royal Navy figured out that you could treat scurvy with citrus. The point is they were on to something. Yes. They didn't know quite what it was yet. Right. Exactly. And so then we have things like um, you know, fast forward a little while, we have the addition of fizziness in the in 1767, and then that goes all the way back to Schweppes. If you remember the uh, fizzy drink that's still around today, Schweppes started in 1790. Uh, eventually, we get to what we would call the era of lemonade stands. By the 1830s. Fizzy lemonade from Schweppes was pretty available around Mm -hmm. Europe, and so you wouldn't see as many European lemonade stands. But if we go to the 1700s, we see that lemonade has made its way across the Atlantic to what we recognize as the United States today. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Yeah, throughout the 1800s, um, we started to see more references, if a little bit few and far between, in you know, news reporting, right? For example, the New York Times has mention of a lemonade stand at a, quote, ladies' fair that took place in October of 1839, pulling some of these stats and details from uh, that Mental Floss article once again, um, including one mentioning 1853 when a woman um, supposedly was operating a lemonade stand in Cincinnati 
And hey, this is also kind of like a, a very c- close connection to our episode on mashers and wolf whistles, right? Um, this woman running this stand in Cincinnati really stuck it to these two men that were kind of catcalling her. And she actually tore one of their coattails off. She has referred to them as a rowdy, which is uh, definitely seems like a progenitor of the masher. Uh, then we have one in 1873 at Cornell University where a young student was using a lemonade stand to help pay college tuition in the student hall by setting up his own uh, independently operated lemonade stand in the in the student hall. Yeah, and uh, fellow ridiculous historians, uh, you'll notice something interesting with those two examples. It's part of a larger pattern. While we associate lemonade stands largely with children today, when it when it first came into vogue in the U.S., it was very much an adult business, and it was it was a serious one. It had the support at times of teetotalers, people who abstain from alcohol and don't want anyone else drinking booze, and they they would say uh, lemonade is a great alternative to a cold beer. And ever since the New York Times first referenced. Uh, lemonade being sold in Wisconsin in 1879, we saw lemonade stands popping up like everywhere around New York City. Starbucks had nothing on them. They would sell cups of lemonade for a nickel each. And (laughs) eventually, uh, as heat waves came on, people found that these lemonade stands were starting to outsell bars and soda fountains because they had almost zero overhead. You know, they didn't have to pay property taxes. They didn't have to pay building fees or, you know, upkeep or maintenance for a building. And they were able to pass those savings on, as the old business saying goes, to the consumer. So if you went to a store, you went to a bar or whatever, and you said, hey, I'm going to have a, a glass of lemonade, it might be as much as 15 cents. But if you went outside and just found somebody with a lemonade stand, uh, then they would have it for five cents. Uh, no, no updates yet on whether or not you got to keep the cup. That probably varied place to place. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's something that probably would come a little later in terms of like really upping it, upping their game with like a commemorative cup that you could take with you. But this whole idea of selling low overhead refreshments is certainly something as American as apple pie or or lemonade. Um, But uh, we have an example of this kind of disgusting history of lemonade. Um, If you'll recall, in the Pink Lemonade episode, there were a couple of competing theories as to where Pink Lemonade came from. And one of them involved I believe it was a circus where the uh, lemonade seller ran out of uh, fresh water and so instead used the water that the clowns and acrobats were using to rinse their tights. Uh, And because the clowns had red tights or pants, that dye colored the water um, pink. And then obviously the the sugar and the lemons were added in, which probably cuts the the putridness of that clown pants water, but still can't imagine it tasted particularly refreshing. So we have a a similar case of this. I I can't quite remember what year that story took place, but this one was in the 1860s in New York when, of course, immigrants were making their way to this country through Ellis Island on New York, and uh, people were looking to make a buck off of these weary travelers, right? Yeah, so instead of buying, you know, fresh lemons 
a good quantity of sugar and then mixing it, you know, with clean potable water. Instead, uh, these unscrupulous folks would fill up whatever dirty container they had with water, molasses, and vinegar. And then to make it appear like it was a little bit closer to lemonade, they would take sliced leftover lemon rinds and and sprinkle them across the top. So for some, this is interesting because it means that for some early immigrants to the country, the the literally the first thing they tried in their new homeland would have been this terrible vinegar sugar water. But luck, luckily, that's luckily that's um, just one bad example. And there are plenty of other uh, very scrupulous lemonade dealers. If you if you ever sold lemonade as a kid which you know now is kind of a cutesy relatively archaic thing i could i could argue you might be interested to know that you owe a lot of your inspiration to a kid named edward bock b o k he is the first american child that we know of so far to have sold lemonade and uh and he also was an immigrant he came over uh from the netherlands right yeah, that's right. Bach in particular, when, when he was hanging out um, near his home in Brooklyn, he would go towards Coney Island, uh, which has changed some, but there's still some lovely, charming qualities of Coney Island that are probably very much the same as they were in Bach's day. And he noticed that some of the wealthier, you know, folks uh, were riding around in these horse-drawn carriages and that the men would make the uh, children and the women wait in the hot summer sun, you know, inside these carriages while they would go inside to get a cocktail or, a, 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 you know, a highball or whatever at the cigar shop. And he thought this was odd. He found this a little unusual and was like, you know what? I bet you they're thirsty. Uh, and so he looked at this as an inn to make a little cash. So he got himself a pail, a bucket, not a filthy one, like uh, the folks that were targeting, you know, people like Bach at, the, at Ellis Island at the port. And he attached three, like, hooks to the side and three glasses. And he would fill the bucket up, and when the horses stopped and the men went out, he would offer the women and children uh, glasses of cold ice water um, for one cent a glass. Uh, So what are we talking here, Ben? This is in the 1870s. What is a penny in 1870s dollars amount to today? That should help us determine the uh, inflation for what maybe a— a good price for a glass of lemonade would be today. Can I get a boop? Uh, you know, actually, let's let's put a slight pause on inflation calculator. Uh, it will will uh, re rework some of the metrics. If that's all right with everybody, let's. We know that he made thirty cents total, right, for every pail. Per he pail, yeah. that's right. So uh, he went through a lot of pails. Thirty cents in eighteen seventy. Now let's run it. <laughs> It is and a boop. It is worth about six dollars and sixteen cents today. That's okay. a lot of inflation. But he's like, you know, he's he could make a pretty uh, a pretty hefty amount of cash, especially for a kid. I know it's a little bit of a bummer that we don't quite know how many. At what size these glasses were and what size the bucket was, that would probably help us with a little bit more inflation math. But I think that gets us about where we need to be. You can imagine if he was working his butt off, he could probably go through quite a few pails in a day. 
right? Sure. Especially on like a Saturday when mm-hmm. it's hot out. He, you know, he had his head in the game. He's a smart kid, but he had a lot of people following his lead. And soon he was not the only water boy <laughs> at the at the spot. And so as these competitors started eating into his turf and his profits, he decided he was going to do something a little different. And he began selling a version of lemonade, just squeezing lemon juice into the water, adding sugar to make it palatable. And then he would sell this for three cents a glass. Ooh, now we're talking. So now we're talking like 90 cents for every uh, pail. Of, of, yes, uh, yeah. of, of of this 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 uh, delicious beverage. Where do you think he got the idea, Ben? Do you think he was like getting inspiration from somewhere? Surely he wasn't aware of the ancient Egyptians or or the uh, the lemonade craze in France. Do you th- a kid of his age? Where, I wonder where he got the idea. He probably saw it around. Yeah, he probably I guess that's saw true. that other that's people true. were doing it, mm-hmm. and they just weren't doing it at the the spot that he thought would be a great place to sell it. So again, very smart kid. Also becomes. A celebrity of sorts in the U.S. at the time. He even he even gets to do a little bit of work with Ladies Home Journal, uh, and then later there's a biography published of him in 1921 called "The Americanization of Edward Bach." Mm-hmm. That's right, and he even himself wrote a book that won a Pulitzer Prize. Again, fantastic article on mental floss by Jake Rawson, surprisingly discussing history of lemonade stands. Highly recommend reading the whole thing. But he, his, this story, right, uh, it really struck a chord in the zeitgeist of the time, right? And it really became, that's sort of when I think the public consciousness maybe shifted more from these, you know, uh, unscrupulous adults trying to put one over on people, or, you know, there were obviously were proper lemonadiers and all that, uh, but it became much more of like a thing associated with youngsters that were like um, trying to hustle and, and um, you know, lift themselves up by their bootstraps. But it really mm. did kind of inject itself into popular culture by the 1930s, right? Yeah, yeah. It really it really began to be a part of the American zeitgeist. And now we, we enter a part of the story that reminds me of that scene with the banker from Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. The father's like, penny and compound interest and all yes, that stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Because these these lemonade stands having one began to be seen as this sort of wholesome lesson in the power of capitalism Mm -hmm. and free enterprise. So if your kid wanted like a a penny farthing, I'm making up, but if your kid wanted something, whatever their version of the, the Elmo or the hottest Christmas toy was, then what you would do as a parent is take that as a learning opportunity, a a quote unquote teachable moment. And you would say, well, uh, with just a little bit of investment, I may not help you buy, you know, this hoop and stick that you want, uh, but I will uh, help pay for some lemons and get some sugar uh, from, you know, the kitchen, and you can learn how business works. And so it's kind of a cool experience, right? It's experiential learning. If you're a kid, you learn the importance of accounting, profits and loss, and then you also learn the importance of location. God, there's a whole, now I think about it, you learn a ton of stuff. You also learn the importance of word of mouth, right? 
Absolutely. And I mean, you're right, Ben, all of that stuff, I think would probably also be considered sort of, at the very least, part of the American zeitgeist, but also kind of the impetus that led to its inclusion in a lot of pop culture uh, tropes, right, that we know and love. Uh, one of the earliest examples would be in the Marx Brothers film Duck Soup that came out in 1933. Um, and, and another great source that we used for this is an NPR piece called America's Attack on Lemonade Stands by Linton Weeks. Um, and in uh, this film, Duck Soup from 1933, you've got Harpo Marx, who kind of gets into a beef. Uh, he's a peanut salesman. He's got a cart. And next to him is Edgar Kennedy, who is selling lemonade, this lemonade stand. And, uh, you know, hilarity ensues when Kennedy starts to harass Harpo. And by the way, Harpo was the Marx brother that didn't speak. Um, but he would do all kinds of physical sight gags. And this one, he rolls his pant legs up and sticks his bare feet into Kennedy's lemonade dispenser. This really makes me think of the pink lemonade clown pants story. Mm -hmm. um, but then you start getting, you know, again, these are adults. Admittedly, they're like man children. Uh, but a few years later, you've got the Little Rascals gang, our gang, um, mm -hmm. in an episode called The Lucky Corner. Yep, yep. That is a short film in which... The Our Gang Kids, the Little Rascals, set up a lemonade stand competition, takes over. They start uh, cutting corners. Uh, lemonade gets spewed all over the place. And uh, eventually, you know, hilarity with a heavy emphasis on physical comedy ensues. Uh, there's There are more and more and more cases of lemonade stands popping up in fiction and in art. There is a lemonade stand in a famous Norman Rockwell illustration mm. from 1955. Uh, anybody remembers the Andy Griffith show? Oh, yeah. Uh, which <laughs> they, you know, that, you know, of course, Opie had his own lemonade stand in the 1960s and he was selling his lemonade. See, this is where they Hollywoodized it. He was selling his lemonade for just two cents. And this kid in New York, Decades and decades and decades and decades ago is selling it for, you know, five cents. I, I just, I feel like they, uh, they maybe glossed over the economics of well, it. Well, this is in Mayberry dollars, so I think that the, the inflation rate is different. Or the exchange <laughs> rate. Yeah, Mayberry is sort of a magical place uh, where lemonade only costs you two cents a glass. Um, ooh, can we get a lightning storm? little ominous thunder on the horizon. Sure, sure. Story's taking a turn. It is about to take a pretty dark turn. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville, right? 
oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. We're into the 40s now, and boy, oh boy, uh, we talked about how lemonade helped cure the plague or helped eliminate the, um, the, the vermin that infestation that caused the plague or that carried the plague, these rats that carried the, uh, the flea larva that led to more fleas that spread that horrible disease. In the 40s, we have a, another, I think you could call it a plague, at the very least a pandemic, in the form of polio, uh, an incredibly communicable disease that uh, affected children um, at an alarming rate. Yeah, so as more people are creating lemonade stands and as the sale of lemon and, and lemon products becomes more commercialized, more mass-produced, you're going to see some kids starting to use frozen lemon juice concentrate or lemonade concentrate or even store-bought lemonade they're selling for a markup. And then adding sweetener, bottled water, they're experimenting with other flavors like we talked about with agave or like we talked about with basil, blueberry, and so on. Because you can flavor, you can add any number of flavors to lemonade. But in a suburb of Chicago in the summer of 1941, a young woman who was 
not named in this in the story apparently started selling lemonade as you would in a little makeshift stand just outside of her house and after a period of weeks the health department of the local county came a calling because it turned out that she had been having people reuse their glasses she had been rinsing them after after the customers returned it to her sure. and then that gave her polio and that was just the beginning of the problem Jeez, yeah a bunch of her friends got it too uh, i mean again this is like very very contagious you can get it from just you know sharing a glass with somebody and i, I think this pointed out too I'm sure that others were doing this. You know, I mean, the original story we have about the young boy from the Netherlands, he only had three glasses total. So, I mean, and if he was selling the water, I don't think he had anything to rinse it with. So, I mean, the origins of these lemonade stands is in and of itself kind of unsanitary. So this really just pointed that out in a big way and there uh, then led to this crackdown on Lemonade stands, unsanctioned lemonade stands, un um, li- licensed, I guess, selling of lemonade, right? Yeah, exactly. And this, so this investigation finds that four of her friends around her age had also contracted polio, and then additionally, they found seven people were asymptomatic carriers, meaning they had it but they didn't show signs of having it. And this, Noel, this is what really let people know just how easily this virus could spread and how long you could carry it before showing any signs. Luckily, luckily, there is a character who comes into play to save the day. By 1954, the one and only Jonas Salk, uh, mm-hmm. his vaccine for polio was about to become uh, widely available. Wow, that's 10 years before a vaccine. We should really thank our lucky stars, shouldn't we? That we have uh, giant pharmaceutical conglomerates working on our behalf for surely no uh, monetary gain, right, right, Ben? Yeah, no comments there. So <laughs> this, is, this is strange because, you know, the, the world comes together, the U.S. comes together at least, to endorse fundraisers to cover treatment for polio. The March of Dimes begins. And now people start selling lemonade to support the fight against polio. It's very strange. Very strange bedfellows Mm -hmm. history makes. Yeah, it really, really is. But, you know, at the same time, (laughs) this is really, really interesting. That image endures, right, of like the entrepreneurial spirit of the United States and like, you know, the fact that this the story about Edward Bach, which surely the way it was elevated and lifted up, you know, there was some... uh, uh, slightly, I would say, um, propagandistic, you know, oh, intense yeah. behind that. Like, ah, oh, this young immigrant lifted himself up by his bootstraps, you know, selling lemonade. And so it was absolutely like part of the identity of the United States as this like melting pot, this land of opportunity, which, as we know, oftentimes that is just an image. You know, I mean, it right. certainly uh, is a land of opportunity for f- certain folks, uh, but not not for everybody. Um, and a lot of times getting ahead in that way requires some aggressive tactics, mm-hmm. more so than just being a clever lad selling lemonade on the street. Yeah, and I want to, I want to give a special anti-shout out to the people who are, they're doing the right thing, but they still feel a little bit like Disney villains to me. Uh, the folks who have slapped Kids with lemonade stands yes. with fines mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, because they need to comply with health and safety regulations or they haven't 
gotten a permit according to local law. In fact, right now, as we record, it is illegal to have a lemonade stand without a permit in 36 states in the nation. Wow. Yeah, this even led to protests, something a lot of folks may have never heard of, Lemonade Freedom Day. Lemonade Freedom Day. And also, I think everyone knows, probably the most popular canned and powdered, and I think even there's a version of it that comes out of a soda fountain, Lemonade, that's available today is from Country Time, uh, yeah. which, which probably is owned by Coca-Cola now. I'm not quite sure. But there was a time where it was probably a very folksy, small company um, that got in the game early. But they have, uh, in 2018, pledged $60,000 in grants to help some of these kids, these oppressed kids, pay these fines related <laughs> to their lemonade stand. But I mean, I don't know, in the times of COVID, might be a slight different uh, direction in PR for this one. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, you know, fun fact, I, I just checked on air, Country Time, my friend, is owned by Kraft Foods. There you go. I didn't see that one come in, but I guess it makes sense. And, and before before we head out today, uh, first, thank you for tuning in to the strange history of lemonade stands. We wanted to add something special to today's show. And, Noel, we have a special guest today, don't we? Someone, it's not the Quister, because we're both very happy to hear from this person. We sure are. We are going to hear from an actual human child who is cringing so hard right now. Can you hear the cringe? That's the sound of her teeth literally gritting together. She's just shaking her head up and down. I can't tell if that's a yes or a no. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, Eden Brown, my child. Hello. Hi. Hi. Eden. Hi. We have to ask you a couple of quick questions here. This is very important. Okay. We need the inside scoop. From what the what the kids are saying these days, how do you feel about the uh, the idea of the lemonade stand as it relates to American entrepreneurship? I'm scared of lemonade stands. Cause, Why? Because of polio? No, no, because the children are are gross. Well, then okay, okay, so okay yeah, yep. that's good. So, so it's it's less about the uh, lemonade itself, Eden, and more about the uh, purveyors of it, huh? The kids yes. creep you out. They probably, I feel like they're like sticking their fingers in the lemonade. Why do you think that? Do you just think kids are just, this is something you do? No. Well, why do you have such a negative opinion of your fellow kids? Because they're gross. Well, okay, but I, I need more. I need, I need more. I'm, I'm, I am a sanitary child, unlike my fellow, my fellow children. Okay, so you're a bit of a neat freak. You're a bit of a germaphobe, we yeah. could say. Okay. Yeah. That's understandable. It is, especially coming through what we've been through, right, in the last mm -hmm. year. Literally living through a situation where you're like, hey, if you uh, don't wash your hands, you might die. <laughs> and you know what's funny, Eden, is uh, I, first off, I totally, I totally see your point. It's funny to me is if you saw a lemonade stand where someone had had a special announcement where they said, you know, uh, Max's lemonade stand, 100% guaranteed, we don't put our fingers in it. That would just make me more uncomfortable. What about you? Yeah, that that sounds, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust it. I f Wait a minute. Are you saying you don't trust advertisement? You need to you, you confirm, but verify, perhaps? Yeah. Okay. Most advertisements just don't. Like like food advertisements, I don't know. They just they just gross me out. So how do you feel about in general like 
food products? Do you feel like they're mainly safe if they say they're safe or do you not even trust like the FDA? How far does this go, Eden? How far does this go? I mean, I don't trust. I, I don't know. I I don't trust like fast food restaurants or thing things that are made by children. So it's exclusively okay. a distrust of children. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I get it. Uh, you know, for instance, I would like... It's weird if it's, you know, your your friend's children or if it's people that you're friends with and they say, hey, the kid made some cookies or something, then you feel kind of obligated to take it. But, uh, like, I don't think anybody would drive a car or ride in a car that was made by, you know, a six-year-old, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. All right. Well, uh, Eden, do you have anything to add? Um, I said it already, but lemonade stands are scary and don't trust them. <laughs> Duly noted. Words from the, the mouths of babes. From Words the mouths from the, of babes. The expert as well. And big, big special thanks to the one and only Eden Brown. Thanks to Max Williams and Casey Pegram. And thanks, of course, uh, to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the Lemonade Bandit, a.k.a. Yep. the Quizster. Yep, you've let's, been replaced by a child. Let's start giving him nicknames and never explain them to him. Because do you think he listens to the episodes? I don't know. He's in the, he's in the group sometimes, the Facebook group, the Ridiculous Historians, which we often uh, forget to, to mention to people. Uh, by the way, Ben, I want to point out that uh, this this email address that we supposedly have, right. what is it again? Uh, it should be ridiculous at iHeartMedia, but we've been getting mixed reports about we've it. We've been getting mixed. I got a mixed report today from a lovely listener that reached out on Instagram and said they had a bounce back, but it looked like they were sending it to iHeartRadio. So make sure you send those to ridiculous at iHeartMedia.com. And if you're still having problems, let us know. But you can also reach us uh, elsewhere on the internet, can't you? Yes, absolutely. You can find us, as we said, on our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians. Uh, you can also give us a shout on Instagram. Uh, as always, we can't wait to hear from you and stay tuned for our next episode, uh, which we are tentatively titling The Underground Duke. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.